Sorry to put my business hat on all of a sudden, but check out the link in our bio. We have a huge announcement coming soon. You'll find out what it is first by subscribing to our Patreon. In addition to bonus content galore, you'll have access to our big summer surprise before anyone else. That's right, access to free merch, the chance to submit questions for upcoming episodes, and of course, plenty of silly little gags. All right, it's showtime. Press play, curtain up an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got on the option? No, oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we, we talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love and life in new york city City and and the the world world. i'm connor mcdowell and i'm dylan mcdowell connor how are you doing today you know i feel great i'm famously back in the gym in a real life gym after being scared to go in one for a year and i'm since i'm fully vaccinated and you know finally brave enough to do this i'm in a gym and this is a new experience for me because although i love fitness and i've done lots of group fitness i've never actually lifted weights in public (laughs) and I'll say this, the middle-aged men at the gym are so helpful. Oh, I love me. that. They've taken me under their wing. It's like, <laughs> I, I, it feels like, like you know Oliver and company when he <laughs> like gets taken in by that group of dogs and they're all kind of like a ragtag crew? Of course. I'm Oliver and they're my company and they are so helpful. And a part of me is like embarrassed sometimes when they're like correcting my form or, you know, coming over to help me constantly, but I'm grateful to them. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't plan on sharing this today, but I I know. I love these men. They are my new father figures, coaches, friends, and it's been great. Although no one wears a mask at the gym. And even though I'm vaccinated, I still feel kind of weird about it. I wear one and I'm noticing that I'm getting like mask acne on my face. I need to like, mask me as mask-ne. it was called in early quarantine. Yeah. Was it? Well, listen, I'm proud of you and I'm excited for everything that's happening now that you're finally mobile again. Yes, back back in action. Dylan, how are you? I'm good. I wanted to talk to you about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. Oh my God. I know, we haven't mentioned it at all. Well, we famously shied away from talking about WandaVision because we felt like it was all over social media and there wasn't anything we could say that was worth adding to the conversation. I agree. Other than it was, that we thought it was, it was brilliant. Yeah, we really yeah. loved it. But what are your thoughts on Falcon and Winter Soldier? I don't like it as much. I think it's kind of boring. See, I'm the opposite. Really? Mm-hmm. I think that Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan are amazing and so watchable, but it's not doing it for me in the way that I wanted it to. And I'm sad to say that. Yeah. I'm glad that, so it was filming a year ago and they had to f- cease filming in Prague during COVID. And so then they weren't done. And so then it was released later. It was actually supposed to come out before WandaVision. And I think that... Drama. Yeah. I think that WandaVision was a great entry into the Marvel on Disney Plus format. Many people think these are the first Marvel TV shows. They're not. There was, of course, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter, which was the Peggy Carter series. And those were on just the networks. And so this is their streaming version of the shows. And I, what I loved about WandaVision was it felt like contained week-to-week episodes. This feels like a really long movie. And I think it's yeah. really epic and well done. Maybe I would like it better as one binge. Yeah. I don't know. It's good, though. I mean, the stunts are amazing. Like I said, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan are amazing. 
Sebastian Stan is so hot, and I heard he goes full frontal in his new movie Monday, which is on video on demand, which we can talk about another time. Oh anyway. my god! Well, listen, I what I, what I want to say about the show is is that it's really interesting because where we last last left off at the end of Avengers Endgame, it appeared that. Anthony Mackie's character was going to become the next Captain America. We were going to have a black Captain America. And that is not the way things have started on the series. But what I love is they're exploring what it means to be black and American in this series. And it's interesting that this was written and filmed before everything that happened last summer Mm -hmm. with the Black Lives Matter movement, before George Floyd, before anything that's, you know, even happening. And so it feels super, super timely. And I'm really excited to see how it all wraps up. I know. And I guess our listeners will know how it wraps up by the time this podcast comes out. Yes, because it's a little shorter. Yeah. All right. Everyone check it out if you have Disney+. Plus. I want to get into it with our guest today. Back to Broadway, Dylan. Back to Broadway. Our guest is amazing. I'm going to bring him in. Please, please, please. All right. Our guest is a triple threat with a swoon-worthy voice and soul. A Detroit native from the heart of Motown, USA, our guest was destined to make his Broadway debut in the original company of Motown the Musical in 2013. Melvin Franklin, who he played on stage in the show, would became his lucky break as he also interpreted the character in the original Broadway cast of Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. I think he's one of the only actors to play the same character in two different musicals that were non-sequels. Before being nominated for a Grammy for his time in Ain't Too Proud, our guest got his start as a radio personality for Detroit's top radio station. Upon graduation, he successfully helped instill, develop, and execute a program for high school students who had a passion for pursuing a career in acting and the arts. He has appeared in Sparkle with Whitney Houston, Love Thyself, and For the Love of Music. His TV appearances are highlighted by Netflix's The Get Down and PBS's Doo-Wop Generation. He is the voice, and we are overjoyed to be speaking with him today. Please welcome to drama, Jawan Jackson. Jackson. Hey, y'all. What's going on? Welcome. Jawan, I have to ask you, before we jump into anything else, uh-huh. you have this very low voice when you sing. Yes. When you're at the stage door for Ain't Too Proud, do people ever ask you to sing? Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> And my response is always, you just saw me sing for two hours and 45 minutes. Yes. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I know. You're like, you can find me on Cameo and I will uh, be paid to do. <laughs> or you can come back and they'll see me all over again. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. I know you do have such an iconic voice. It's it's a gift. It's a gift. OK, before we dive into all that, I'm wondering, are you well? I am doing so well. This quarantine and pandemic time has been a blessing in disguise, honestly. And um, I've been saying this, you know, since the start of it, like my body was just, it felt like it was about to shut down doing these eight shows a week. And, you know, right before, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. So you kind of like, when you put out with out in the atmosphere, what you want, you're going to get. And so I was going to say, I was like, I need a break. I need a break. I need a break. And I got a year break. <laughs> so, <laughs> now I have fully recuperated. I have like got my rest. You know, and so I'm doing well. You know, I've been traveling. I've still been working during this time. I've been fortunate and blessed enough to still continue my work and find my art in different ways now through virtual learning, through virtual performances, through uh, I got into starting into um, television and film now more. Ooh. You know, the transition has been great for me. So I'm happy. That's amazing. Yeah, because I'm thinking about it. Ain't You Proud had been running for a whole year and you were one of the only main temptations still with the show for that full year right yeah me uh myself and james harkness okay oh my god oh i love it so much when i saw ain't too proud 
it was just you and Jeremy Pope and I missed the other guys. <laughs> so I kept saying, I've got to go back. I've got to go back. And I sadly didn't get a chance to before the shutdown. So hopefully this fall. Hopefully. Come on. Let's see. Because, you know, they put out a date, but they didn't tell us yet. So I know <laughs> I saw that the date was released and it was like a quiet. I was like, oh, is that right? Well, I'm happy to hear that it has been a positive quarantine break for you and that you've really found ways to keep busy and stay working. I think I can feel your energy and your spirit. You 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 seem you seem happy and well rested and positive and it's just amazing to see. Yeah, I, I always say positivity is a choice. And choosing mm. joy is, you know, an active thing. And so I try to, you know, live by that um every day even when I don't feel like it, because I, it's, it's, it's more, it's easier to um, be grateful than it is to be sorrowful and just use that to motivate you. So thank you. I appreciate it. Wow. I've got to ask, where did, where do you get that from? You know, I'm a church boy. I'm a very spiritual and my friends, they're, they're very churchy too. So. <laughs> I love it. Cause obviously you grew up in Detroit, but have you been in New York this whole time in uh, quarantine? Uh, yes and no. So for the start of quarantine, I was here until August and I um, I had my one year old niece at the time with me because I got bored and I was like, when we're here. So she spent the summer with me and then I started traveling. I went to uh, the March on Washington in D.C. Um, Amazing. And then I went to Mexico and then I've been here the whole time. <laughs> oh, how fun. <laughs> A nice little trip. Well, yeah, because things really kind of I mean, those first couple months in New York were horrific. And so. You were here for the worst of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it was at one point I was like, are we going to make it? What's going mm-hmm. on? <laughs> Wait, is the niece that was with you the one that we all met in your Broadway.com um, backstage yeah. series? Oh, yeah. so precious. She got, she's much grown and much bigger now, uh, full of words, and she's so active. <laughs> she's Aww. become my favorite on my Instagram because I used to, I post, I used to post everyday videos and stories of her and now they're craving my niece so then so now i've been like i'll face she facetimes me and so i'll create little facetime videos now oh that's adorable so cute oh my god okay so we dylan mentioned that you're from michigan and there is a another question we ask all of our guests which is about their ring of keys moment or that moment they realized that they wanted to be a part of the performing arts in some way it could be I guess it's personal for everyone. I'm not going to give you examples unless unless you want them. But anyway, do you feel like you had that moment where you realized, oh my gosh, I need this in my life forever? You know what? I didn't think so at first. But as I start thinking and like going back, I was like, actually, I did have that moment. And because I've been saying I wanted to sing since I was 11, you know, and be a performer and entertainer. But I was like, I just thought it was innately in me because I, I started off singing before like, I could talk or anything. I was always singing around the house. But then as far as performance wise, it jogged my memory that my cousin, my older cousin, we went to go see uh, her high school production of Bye Bye Birdie. And that was my introduction to a, a musical. And then like, I just fell in love with the Conrad character, you know, because like he was bad, he was cool. And at the time, I, you know, my cousin, you know, said he was like the popular kid in high school. So I was like, oh, I want to be just like him. <laughs> kind of like made my my love, just like just sparked my love for for theater, musical theater um, and performing. And, and so I think 
if I had to pinpoint it, that's when it was. Oh, that's so fun. And I can go back and call it like, you know, you're actually the reason because it was because of you that I even saw all of this. Oh my goodness. That's so special. You know, I, I forget sometimes like being young and there's that whole act like um, you're impressionable. And when you're young and you're seeing like the high school productions, you're also sort of idolizing those students in addition to seeing what they're doing. Like I can remember really worshiping the older kids in the theater program. And that's so special. Absolutely. And then I got my first chance, my first shot two years later in the seventh grade, when I got to do my very first production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That was my very first. That's a favorite of ours. We, we love that one. Who did you play? I was one of the chorus line members in the background singing in the choir. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a fun one. That's not that that musical is nonstop. I mean, you're in all of it, really, when you're in the ensemble. So that's so fun. I know we did that twice, weirdly, mm-hmm. when we were in high school, but it's a good one. So that was in seventh grade. When did you start taking voice lessons or anything when you were younger? Or were you always born with this beautiful baritone? I had this high, high voice, and my voice also changed when I was 11, 12 years old as well. And I didn't know what to do with it. I thought it was ugly. I was like, no, I've been cursed and I'll never sing again. <laughs> and then it was my choir director at church. You know, he was like, you got all of this range down here that nobody else is. And like, only old men have this voice and you have it at your age. Let's figure out how to use it and, you know, do something with it. And so he was actually the one who kind of like birthed the cultivation of me using my lower voice because I still tried to like sing high and failed miserably <laughs> at it, you know? And so it was him, you know, that, that kind of helped me and guarded me. And then I started to like get lessons and then move on. And you went to college for, was it for theater? I know you went to Eastern Michigan, right? Yeah, I went to Eastern Michigan University and I got my degree in uh, communication theater arts, but I started off as a biochem Oh major. dear, the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> But that was a, a, a shift in where I wanted to go only because I went there and I went to school solely to become a dolphin trainer. I wanted to train aquatic animals. I wanted to work at SeaWorld. I wanted, <laughs> and then I started working for Disney along the line of my college career. And then I went down there, was like volunteering on a, a reserve, a wildlife reserve, and then start swimming with sharks. And that experience with sharks and in the water with no gear and nothing kind of like shifted and transitioned me to something else. I was like, I don't want to do this. Never mind. Wait, you know, actually when we, we once got to swim with sharks and there were like these odd coral pieces, like, like little like castles that the sharks could swim around in. And I unbeknownst to myself, cut my foot on one of them. And when, when we got out of the water, they had noticed there was blood in the water and they were like, Oh my God, you could have gotten your, your whole foot bitten off if the sharks would have smelled that. So it was very scary. And I don't think I ever want to do it again. So I completely understand why you changed paths. I love to see them. I love the beauty of them, but it's not for me to be in the water. Not at all. Did you do that (laughs) Disney college program? Yes. I did the Disney college program first and then they loved me so much that I worked at Key West resort. Okay. And my the man, general manager there he fell in love with me and took a liking to me it was like hey have you ever considered about being a manager you look you're a natural born leader and i was like no but if i can yes so then he got me prepared for the professional internship so then i became one of the youngest managers at port orleans resort and i would have my own building and i was breaking records and numbers in the history there and they hated me there. <laughs> It was like, who is this guy having these rooms spotless and clean and 
you know, our, they call them cast members right. instead of employees. So he was like, our cast members, you know, loving him so much because everybody loved me. They call me affectionately JJ there. Uh, they were like, JJ, 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 and that's all you keep with here. <laughs> <laughs> and I love and adored them so much. Like, they really, they're like second family. Even to this day, like, I still, I'm in contact with a lot of them. Oh, how fun. How long were you the manager there? I was there two years. Okay. Yeah, I was there two years. And it was it was so much fun. It was a lot of, you know, it was one of those things in the time where um, I feel like I was right in the transition of um, being young, being a man of color, because there weren't really men of color as far as like manager wise, you know, at the resort. And so, you know, naturally I would come against, you know, some things that I've never, ever experienced. Like, you know, I remember one time in particular, this lady, she was complaining about her room and everything. And then I knock on her door and I say, hi, I say, you know, you asked for to speak, speak to a manager. And she kind of like wouldn't open the door. She was like, who are you? What are you doing? I said, I'm the manager. She was like, no, I, I asked for the manager of, I said, that's me. Mm-hmm. And I show her my badge. And then like, I was just like, wow, like it just had to disarm her because she didn't expect someone young and black to be, you know, managing. Because I was 20, 21, 22 oh, wow. when I was manager there. So, you know, it was just, it was an experience and, and a learning experience, you know, for me to figure out how to maneuver and to really like um, diffuse things in a, a non-volatile way because people would get aggressive. Oh, yeah. Quite naturally because they, they're spending so much money coming to Disney. Disney World is not cheap. Right. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. I, I overstood. But it was it was a fun experience overall. Was that on the property, the, the resort that you were at? Yes. So did you, were you like a Disney kid at all? And was that like a dream then that you got to like have free reign of the parks at times? I was, I was, but you know what? That I never had been to Disney World prior to me, my being an adult. And so that was the very first time because I always watched it on TV. There used to be these, these commercials where, you know, they'll show like Disney World, the experience, this, then the fourth. And I used to order the DVDs and the cassette tapes and send it to the house and play it over and over again. <laughs> my Disney World. <laughs> that is so cute. I love that. Which park is your favorite? I love Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I love Magic Kingdom. I would walk around, give me a turkey leg, walk around. <laughs> I used to do that every day. I would get off work at five and then I'll go, I'll start at Epcot and then I'll take the, the air train to Magic Kingdom and then I'll watch the fireworks and then I'll go home. Um, and I would, I did that every night. Oh my God, that's so fun. Okay, so after Disney... And after college, when did Motown come into your life? Motown came into my life, I think, a year or two after college. I auditioned for that on just an open call. I was in reading the classifieds in the newspaper, and I was like, you know, let me try and see what this is out. And I was doing something at the time called The Wiz of Motown. So I didn't even know that Motown was a Broadway show oh. that I was auditioning, which was insane. <laughs> yeah. So I auditioned, and then they liked me. And then they gave me a call back, and I sent the video in not thinking I was going to get it. And then they called me in for the third time. The third time was at the Motown Museum. And I was still like, whatever, I'm just going to audition for this, this you know, play because I need some money and I don't want to be teaching because at the time I was teaching and I decided that I wanted to transition to entertainment full time. And so I was trying to figure out every day before I went to work, I would go online, look for auditions every day religiously. And then, you know, so I auditioned there, didn't think anything of it. Then they called me. I was like, hey, can you fly to New York, you know, for this last audition? So I'm like, sure. Why am I flying to New York for a Michigan play? But okay, whatever. And I went there, auditioned. And when I auditioned, I 
was horrible at dancing. And I didn't know like how to audition. And so I came there fully dressed. I had like some Timberlands on. I had some, this one I was wearing oversized clothes. <laughs> I had like a 3XL uh, button up shirt on. I had my little hat on, my glasses. And I had on some big old baggy pants. And so I, I just thought I was in there to sing and do the sides. And so I sang, did the sides. It was like, okay, there's the dance call. So me not registering what the dance call was, I'm in this dance call and everybody around me is like in like leotards, uh-huh. shorts and tank tops. And I'm in full out winter gear, wetting my ass off, <laughs> not knowing how to dance. Like, just like, where am I at? Like, how do I, okay, cool. But you know what? They saw something in me and they were like, just stay after. And Patty Wilcox at the time, which is our, one of our choreographers, her and Warren Adams, they, she took me in the back room at Chelsea and worked with me for another hour straight. And learned that combination. And then she went in there. She told him, she was like, he can retain movement. You know, it's just going to take a while, but he's good. I can, he's teachable. Actually, thank God for her, because I don't think that I would have actually got that job had she not said that to, to them. You know, one thing I did know was I had the notes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. On the low C on Ball of Confusion. And they had me dancing and I had to make sure I'm like, I don't got this dance, but I got this note. So anytime we came to me to sing that note and dance, that note came out crystal clear. <laughs> this is what I'm here for. You know, this is my gift. And so, you know, two days later, they called me. I hung up on them because I thought they were playing. <laughs> <laughs> you really hung up on them? I did. I was on the phone with another friend at the time and I was telling him how horrible I thought it went because, you know, I was just like, I'm dancing. I was just unprepared and whatever. I'm like, I sang well, but I don't think I got it. It was like, you got it. You're going to get a call today. And sure enough, I got a phone call while he was on the phone. And so I thought he was playing. He had set me up. Oh, that gives me chills. That's so cool. He was like, no, call them back. That wasn't me playing. Call them back. And I called him back and the rest is history. And I moved out to New York a month later and I've been here ever since. It's amazing to me that Patty, one, you know, one of the choreographers, the point I'm trying to make is as a kid, you see Broadway or you see theater and you have this idea of what you hope it will be. And to me, that is one of the, the stories that makes me think, gosh, I wish it could be like this all the time where there are people who are teachers, who are kind, who are looking for the best person for the job and they see something in you and they want to work with you. And they're not just gonna be like, oh, he can't nail it right off the bat. So he's cut. It's not like that chorus line moment. It's like, no, we can foster talent and make sure that this right person is the one we cast. That story, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah, it was it's, it was an incredible experience as well. Just that whole experience. There's 42 people in the cast. It was a lot of fun. And I have them now to this day to lean on. You know, we just celebrated uh, opening a couple of days ago. We opened April 14th. So, you know, about a week ago now. And I just had a phone call and to see the life that has happened since the show's closed and people are having babies and getting married and moving on and careers is blossoming and everybody's just working. Everybody from that show is working, you know? And so it's just, it was a beautiful Oh, thing. I love it. We got to see the tour in Cleveland. Chester Gregory was the lead. He was unreal. I could not believe what was coming out of his mouth. He was just the heart of it. That show was so jam-packed with storylines and everything, but it flowed so well. And it was such a huge hit when it was first on Broadway. And then didn't it leave tour and then come back for a little bit? Yeah, so that's that was the first national tour 
because they, they shut us down and told us we'd be back, but we went back. The original cast were back. They brought the tour back. And I felt some type of way about it. But mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's all right. It's all good. Y'all get, you know, let somebody yeah. else do it. And so they brought it back and then they left. But I think that the time that when it came back, it had the market of things that was out was just so great because you had Color Purple that year. You had Shuffle Along that year. You had Hamilton that year. So... No one was coming to see Motown <laughs> after they brought it back because it's already mm-hmm. been done and seen. And then I feel like the theater that I was at, it's that theater that's tucked away on 41st Street. The Nederlander, yeah. If it's not Aladdin, then nothing else matters. Like, right. I, like, I know it's been some great things there. I'm not trying to downplay the theater. It's tough. Yeah, nothing's really survived there for a long time since Rent was there forever. Yeah. What was there? Like, Pretty Woman was there for maybe a year. War Paint was there. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Mm-hmm. It's something else. I know. It's it's an odd location, mm-hmm. definitely. Because the first time it was on Broadway, wasn't it at the Lunt Fontan? It was at the Lunt, yeah. Mm-hmm. That street was lit. It had everything on it that year. So you were playing Melvin uh-huh. in Motown. Were you very familiar with him when you started out with Motown? I wasn't familiar with him per se. I knew who he was because, you know, I know the Temptations, love the Temptations, love the Four Tops, you know, and as a lower voice person, I... I was just studying everybody. So I, I just learned everything. And so I did, I was familiar with him, but this this role and when I got into it, like I got to really dive into it and then hear the stories and then find out that my cousin actually dated them. And then I was just like, well, what? <laughs> how and why have I never known this? You know, and so it was all of those things that, you know, I got to know. And like, now I, I, I feel like I still keep learning who he is. And it's just adding layers and layers and layers when I perform them for Ain't Too Proud. And, you know, I get to put put in, put them on and then take them off. Oh, yeah. He was so easy to just, like, root for. I mean, his, I mean, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the show, but when he passes in the show, it is, I remember crying. Like, it is truly, like, so sad. Like, that loss to me was, like, no, you know, of everything that's going on. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what I really wanted. I really wanted to show the heart of Melvin because out of all the stories I, I've heard, I'm like, the one that stuck out was like, he was the sweetest, kindest person that you ever would meet and everyone loved him. And so I was like, it is my duty to to exude that on stage and to portray that because that is the character quality that I feel like we both share. And so mm. I said, I can do that well. I can do that, you know, just in my sleep. So like, let's figure it out. And Dominique more so, she wrote, you know, this story just so well, you know, and it set him up so beautifully. So I am so happy that, you know, I got to just to tell his story, like for real, because I got to show a version of him vocally in Motown, but I got mm-hmm. to tell the story in Ain't Too Proud, which I'm so grateful for. Oh yeah. Now, when this, when Ain't Too Proud came into your life, were you the original Melvin in that? Like, did you do workshops for it as well? I didn't do a workshop. I couldn't get an audition. You know, oh, wow. it was so secretive. Ain't Too Proud was so secretive when it first started out. And I remember my friend, Felicia Boswell, she, her and I would, had did a workshop for another project. And then she went right after that project to do the workshop at Ain't Too Proud, the first one. And she was playing Diana in the first, like, iteration of that. And mm-hmm. she called me immediately after and she said, Jay, she said, there is a role in this show for you that only you can play. And I'm about to, she was like, I don't normally do this, but I walked up to the director and said, hey, the person you got, 
that's not him. The one he's not in this room, but I'm going to give you his information and I want to connect you. And so, you know, of course, the, the Dominique at the time, she didn't know who Felicia was. She's like, OK, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'm not about to randomly email somebody. No, I'm not doing this. I never emailed her. And so but when I heard that the workshop was coming, I would try to get the, you know, get in and couldn't get an audition. So finally, you know, I had a friend who played the previous role who played it in Berkeley. Um, and so when he found out that he wasn't going to continue with the show, he immediately called me. He said, hey, brother, I'm not continuing with the show, but it's yours. And, Oof. you know, I want you to go in there and nail it. And I'm going to put your name. And then Ephraim and Derek and Jeremy, they also rooted for me and like put spoke my name. And so it's because of them that I got in the room and that I feel like I have this role, you know, for mm. vouching for me. And then when I went in the room, I just did what I did best. You know, and it was show like, this is what, what you've been missing. And then they'd be like, well, where you been? I'm like, I've been trying to get in this room. <laughs> what do you mean where I've been? <laughs> but it all came together and it just, you know, it's just so beautiful. Like the relationship that we, the five of us have, you know, we're all friends in real life, you know? And I think that's one thing that plays out on stage because you can feel like this is not a put on anything like, when we laughing, we laughing at something, you know, <laughs> it's going to be an inside joke for us, but we, you know, we letting everybody in on it. So it's just, it was a brotherhood and I was so, so happy to do it with the four of them, you know, and with the other, you know, the total 19 of us, because I feel like it's an ensemble driven show. Everybody has their moment to stand out and just to do it and, and be great. And, you know, we couldn't do it without all of them as well. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it definitely showed on stage. I, I loved it. I'm curious when the show returns. Yeah, because Dylan Dylan got to see I all did, of you I together. Did. I'm so sad I I missed the the core crew, but it's okay. I still loved Spoiler it. Spoiler alert, we had some inside scoop. There might be another opportunity. Okay. Okay. That's a that's a soft mic. That's drama. That's drama right there. So when the show returns, because I know it's gonna come back. And hopefully you'll be with it. What moment are you looking forward to most about being on stage? That opening number. Mm-hmm. That opening number. The moment that, you know, we hear Jackie's uh, announcement, you know, about no cameras, no talking, this, that, and the fourth. And, you know, just the beginning of that organ playing in the village. I think that's when I'll probably lose it. You know, because it's going to be a very emotional moment, you know, for us, for just the world, for where we are now coming back into this different, you know, and, you know, every a lot has changed. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be the moment for me. I'm like, oh, I got a, two more hours to go get through. You can't be crying the whole time. It's not the time to cry. <laughs> use the cry for the end. Don't use it right now. So that's going to be the moment I'm waiting for. Yeah, I think it, it is going to be so amazing. And looking at the shows that are coming back, other than Ain't Too Proud, I think this is the show that has the most black cast members. And for an audience coming back to it, coming through a pandemic, coming through what everything that happened last summer following George Floyd's murder, you know, in a world where the Black Lives Matter movement was able to take center stage in a bigger way, especially in the way that white people looked at it. I, I think it is so special. It's going to be so special to see this amazing cast on stage telling a black story, you know? It's gonna be profound. I'm excited about it. This story, it fits. We always say that, you know, what was happening now is happening 
<laughs> back then. Mm-hmm. So they're just going to just hit home harder. And, and, you know, hopefully you don't leave the same way you came. You know, I hope our story heals our story, you know, just takes you out of that, the, the, the reality really quickly and just transcends you into, you know, back in the day and where music felt good, where you felt good, where you can, it just didn't matter, like the music brought you together. And so that's what I'm hoping that Ancient Proud does. It brings people, unites people um, just to be better. So well yes. said. Oh my God, I can't, I can't wait to see Sergio's Tony winning choreography, which Dylan has been doing nonstop and I'm not going to imitate. Dylan keeps doing trying like Trying to do, <laughs> trying to do. Oh man. I have to laugh. I've been in the gym trying to make sure that I I can still hit the step because I know it's coming. You know, it's, Sergio did not play every single moment in the show is choreographed. Every single moment from you waiting in the wings to you, you're on stage and you're not having any action, but you have just a snap in your finger. It's some kind of constant movement always. And so, you know, I've been preparing, so I'm excited about it. It's going to take, you know, we, we need to be back in the rehearsal room first. I have to just smile thinking about how at your Motown callback, you were struggling with the choreography. And then the choreography you're doing in Into Proud wins the Tony. And you're dancing on the Tony Awards. Yeah, you know, one thing I always say is like, though that dancing was isn't my like first thing and I don't do it innately, I did the work. I went into classes. I went and studied and I went and got help and I worked really, 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 really hard. You know what I'm saying? That's why I encourage young people who are coming along and they're asking, well, what can I do to be, if I'm not good at this? I'm like, study. Even if you are the greatest, you know, make sure you still continue your education because you never cannot learn too much. Mm -hmm. And so I am excited. I even told Sergio, I remember when the Tony nominations came out, we were all in the room. It was Derek, myself, and Sergio and <laughs> on the floor. And I said, listen, out of all the nominations that, you know, I was, I would have been upset if that we did not get. I said, it's that dance choreography. I'm dancing too hard in this show for us not to get a nomination for best, you know, choreography. Oh, yeah. I said, now I would have turned Broadway upside down. I don't know how I was going to do it, but Broadway got, would have heard every bit of Jawana Jackson. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> I was excited that we won now. And I was like, okay. Yes. <laughs> wasn't wasn't Ancient Proud one of the most nominated shows that season too? We had every single nomination except for um, we didn't have an original song. Okay. 80s Top, I believe, got all of those, but we yes. you know, like one shot. That's true. Um, speaking of music in general, I know that you worked with Whitney Houston in Sparkle. And I'm sure you've been asked about this many times, but what was your experience of being on set with the legend, Miss Houston? incredible first of all that was my very first movie that i ever worked on and you know when when we started working they told us it was like okay don't talk to the cast don't say anything don't look at them don't ask them for a picture don't ask for an autograph they're not even there to you you're just here to be in the scene and you're gonna and i'm like okay cool and the very first day i was on set whitney houston came and of course when she got out of her car it was a roaring applause because it was whitney houston and you cannot just not acknowledge whitney houston on nobody's anybody's set and so when she's walking in she said good morning that was the first thing she said and i turned around i was like you talking to me she said yes i'm talking to you good morning i said good morning i love you so much <laughs> you know and they're like kind of like just went in and then I was with her and I worked with her on set. Um, it was like, that was the, my first like eight hour day. And, you know, of course, naturally they having breaks and moments where they, you know, changing the scene. And 
you know, her and Jordan Sparks, I got to witness her teaching Jordan Sparks how to sing I Will Always Love You. And that was just like the best moment ever, just watching, you know, Jordan Sparks, you know, she was like singing a song and she's like, no, baby, do it this way, slow it down. And then, you know, I was like, this is a masterclass in this moment. And, you know, it was no cameras. It was no, it was just us in this room, you know, holding room, just being ourselves. And like, you know, it was, Whitney Houston, the artist was gone. She was just Whitney Houston, the person. Her and Jordan, that, that whole cast was just phenomenal to work with. But Whitney, that was, that was a, that's a moment I'll cherish for the rest of my life because it was, it was so great. And then really quickly, the other moment was, is that, church scene where she's singing his eyes on the sparrow and you know she was really really nervous and everybody just was loving on her and then like because of so many takes you know of that she sang that song at least 12 13 times and at one moment it became it's it stopped becoming about a movie and we're doing something but it became like a for real for real church experience and we were praising and shouting and i don't know if you guys are familiar with tamala man the gospel singer and she was in there in the movie as well and she got up and started singing and and, and hollering and doing her own thing and then like it was just it was the most like <laughs> i was like oh my goodness what am i being privileged privileged to like Oh, so great. So those are those are my favorite moments of uh, working with me. Oh, my God. I can only imagine it was just, it sounds unbelievable. I have chills. You telling me about this. I love that Whitney was just like teaching Jordan how to sing this the song because I've heard she had had this great passion for mentoring young women, you know, vocalists that she took an interest in. Now, okay, wait. Now, Whitney, I think the voice of all best voice of all time. I seriously think that. Do you have like a top three favorite Whitney songs you can think of? Well, I'll let you think about it for a second. Dylan, do you have like three Whitney songs that are your favorites? Oh gosh. Uh, How will I know? Oh, I love, I want to dance with somebody. Of course. Oh my gosh. And the greatest love of all. Mm. So good. Yes. And I think my three is I'm Your Baby Tonight, oh, yes. All the Man I Need, mm-hmm. and um, this is a weird one, but I like her, I do it with Deborah Cox, same script, different cast. I don't know that one, but I need to look it up because I love Deborah. It's a really good song. I love that song. Oh my God. I love it. Connor, do you, can you name any other ones that you love? Oh yeah. Um, I Have Nothing, So Emotional. Oh yeah. I mean, and this might be a cheat, but her version of the Star Spangled Banner. Oh yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, she's the best. It's the version. Oh, I love it so much. Okay, so we are sadly coming to the end of this conversation here. And I feel like you have so many great stories, Juwan. I'm like, oh my God, you've you've been work, working with so many people. Oh my God, you know what I wanted to ask you though? It seems like you have a great relationship with Whoopi Goldberg. I've seen her popping up on your Instagrams like all the time. Did you know her before Ain't Too Proud? I did know her before Ain't Too Proud. I met Whoopi the very first time in 2014. Um, And then when she came to see Motown and her daughter and I got really, really cool and close. And then my friend, one of my best friends, he started working at The View and then he started doing her hair. And then 2017 New Year, um, he called me, he was like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, nothing at home, it's New Year's Day. And he was like, you wanna go over Whoopi's house with me for New Year's? She you know, invited us over and I'm like, 
I ain't sure. <laughs> so, like, I'm gonna go to her house, but I had to play it cool. I'm like, okay, cool. And so we got to her house, and you know, my very first time at her house, you expect it's Whoopi Goldberg. So like, she, I'm thinking like it's gonna be layout of food, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be a whole lot of things, and you know. She was like, okay, so I got chicken, I got eggs, bacon, I got biscuits, I got coconut shrimp, I got this. She's naming a litany of things. And we're like, ooh, that sounds good. We want this, we want that. And she was like, okay, so it's in the refrigerator. Um, somebody gotta cook it, because <laughs> I don't cook. And so it was myself and three other people and everybody kind of looked at me like, you gonna do it? And so <laughs> I was like, sure. And so my very first time I got to cook a whole, you know, brunch meal at Whoopi Goldberg's house. And so at first I'm like, I thought it was the four of us. And then it ended up being like 17 people. Oh, wow. I now got pressure on me because now I'm cooking for the very first time at, at her house. She's about to eat my cooking. And then 17 other people who I don't know who are people, you know, in this industry yeah. <laughs> you know, are about to eat it too. So I was like, oh, it's so much pressure, so much pressure. So I just went, you know, put, put my sleeves back and I went and like her kitchen is the best ever because it, it is a cook's and chef's dream. It has every appliance. It has every season and spice and anything that you can possibly think of. So I had no problems whipping up a, a great, great meal. And so we ate and at the dinner table sometimes she just sat there. She was like, I love this experience. She was like, I motion that we do this every year, every New Year's. I said, yeah, we do. <laughs> So for the last five years, I've been at Whoopi Goldsberg House for New Year's Eve or day. Um, and it's been a great, we didn't do it, you know, this year because of COVID, mm -hmm. but, you know, every year prior. And she's just become a great mentor and, you know, somebody who really, really has great wisdom and knowledge. And when my song came out, I released a song in the, um, for the holiday season, she promoted it and, and did everything she got behind it. She was like, I'll support you. And I love her so much for that. She's so giving. She's the most givingest person I've ever met. Even if givingness is not a word. It is now. You, you know, <laughs> I, I can't help but think about how you have a similar energy to her. You're so caring and kind and beloved in the industry. And so, you know, birds of a feather right there. People remember how you treat them and you make them feel and so I always want to be nice and kind to people because I do remember that it was a time where I was, you know, striving and aspiring to be somewhere and be, you know, in what I'm doing now. And so I always remembered how they made me, the people that I looked up to made me feel. And I was like, I need to emulate that because that's going to take me far. And I got too many friends and families that keep me together and humble me when I start smelling myself. So <laughs> that's another portion of that. So I will never, you know, not be you know, get the big head. I, well, I won't be in the big head anytime mm -hmm. soon. No, I just feel like kindness is easy to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So now now that I've heard all about Whoopi and I'm extremely jealous, oh, my God, we, we are wrapping up and we like to end on a dose of drama. And it could be anything you're feeling dramatic about, any drama you're consuming, anything you want to promote, anything at all. Dylan, do you have a dose of drama today? I do. So I just read an incredible book. It took me a little while because it was long. But it's Cicely Tyson's memoir called Just As I Am. And the whole story about it is she released it and passed away like within like the same week or something. And oh my God, it is amazing. It is so revealing. I didn't even realize like she was like married, like just so many different things. She kept so much private about her life. She had a, a daughter when she was 17. 
but no, no one ever knew. And she kept that all very private. And she finally came clean about it in the book and she calls her Joan, but that's not her name, but she writes about it in this beautiful way and talk about a life that is full. And it was just, it's one of the best, one of the best memoirs I've ever read because it's peppered with wisdom in the middle of like incredible stories. And I highly recommend it to everyone. It was great. Just as I am. Cicely Tyson. Can I borrow it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I think I'm going to throw it to Juwan. Juwan, do you have a dose of drama today? I still can't think of mine. I I, I didn't write it down. I do. I've been watching. I, well, I just finished watching. I've been just watching this series on Netflix called The One. It is a, the premise is you, this this woman created a, a system where you take a strand of your hair, mail it in, and then they analyze it. And then they genetically, you know, match you with your true love. And so... Um, from that, there's a lot of things because there's some married couples who aren't with their true loves. And so they follow these stories of, you know, couples and the main character. And it's just a great thrilling drama. It's just so beautiful. You, you know, it has you on the edge of your seat, like sitting next to the person that you're you're dating, like, are you the one I'm supposed to be with or somebody else out there? Like, is, it, is it a reality show or is it scripted? No, it's, it's scripted. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. It's called The One. Okay. I'm going to have to look into it. I'm, I'm going to need a new show soon. It's you, you're going to thank me later. Okay. I'll <laughs> let you know. Okay. My dose of drama is we've been binge watching The Sopranos since January and we're finally in the final season. And wait, I don't, I was just about to say a spoiler, but all I'll say is this. I think the show's going on a little too long. I think they should have ended it like a season ago or they, this should be the last season because I feel like they've lost the plot a little bit. And I think their their biggest problem was introducing the idea of the FBI in season one. I think they really should have like maybe dropped that in in the season one finale because for seasons and seasons and seasons, I mean, the show's been off the air for a long time. The FBI has been looming over this mob family and it's getting a little bit like, how does Tony keep dodging the FBI so many times? But it's still so good. Can't wait to see how it ends. Have you ever seen The Sopranos, Joanne? I've seen a couple of episodes. Yeah. It's good. It's good. All right. Well, this has been so much fun. I feel honestly very refreshed. And Joanne, you are so kind and generous to, to do this with us today. So thank you very much. Of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And everyone needs to follow you on Instagram at Joanne Jackson. And are you on Twitter? I am. I had to change it because my... Twitter got locked um, or compromised. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> so it's a new one. It's Jawan Jackson 4, I believe. All right. Okay. Or Jawan M. Jackson. Sorry. Jawan M. Jackson. Jawan Jackson 4 was the last one. Okay. Amazing. And of course, everyone should follow us at The Drama Podcast, me at Dylan McDowell and Connor at Connor McDowell. Jawan, thank you so much for doing with this with us. And Connor, we will see you next time. Drama. Drama.